Hi, I'm Dr. James Ahrens, the ADHD author and veterinarian. Welcome to Podcast 29, Australians on Holiday. Towards the end of January 1988, Mary was contracted to perform at the Sands Hotel in Atlantic City, New Jersey for a month. On my way back home, after dropping her off at the airport, I wondered how I was going to entertain myself for the next four weeks. Here I was, alone and grumpy, in the coldest, darkest month of the year. A veterinary client came to my rescue and offered a plane ride to the famous Harris Ranch restaurant off Highway 5 in California's Central Valley. The restaurant has taxiing place where you can park your airplane. I was accompanied by a young, attractive Australian tourist who was exploring the U.S. with her brother. Inviting them to my house for dinner, I experienced an uneasy situation in the hot tub later that evening. Come lay your body next to mine, come lay your fears away, come lay your worries down with me, let's free that heart today. And lay with me, come bring all your pain. Come dance the sound of children's games. Let's free that heart today. Oh, fears can fly away. This could be your day. Step into the looking glass and tell us what to say. Chapter 36 Australians on Holiday In January 1988, 
Mary and I had been married a year. We were working towards a pregnancy, but nothing happened no matter how hard I worked. Mary's tubes were blocked, and she needed tubal repair surgery. She arranged to have this surgery at Children's Hospital in San Francisco in early January, and would be in the hospital for three days. This coincided with a llama seminar held at UC Davis just an hour or so east of San Francisco. I dropped Mary off at the hospital, gave her a big hug, and told her I'd see her in three days. I knew she was in good hands, and I knew there would be nothing for me to do while I waited for her surgery and three-day recovery. Mary agreed. I attended the seminar with two days of lectures and one day of hands-on techniques, introducing us to the core skills needed to become a proficient llama vet. I drove back to San Francisco early Friday evening. The nurses were likely wondering why Mary's husband had not been around. They didn't need to worry. When I came up to the floor to pick Mary up in her wheelchair, I brought a bouquet of flowers to show everyone I did indeed love my wife. We drove home, let the surgical wounds heal, and followed the doctor's orders to have sex every other day. Towards the end of January, Mary needed to get her stage wardrobe together because she was performing at the Sands Hotel in Atlantic City, New Jersey throughout February. Driving back home after dropping her off at the airport, I wondered what I was going to do for the next few weeks. It was only the start of February, I was already tired of the darkness and coldness of winter, and I needed a break from the dreariness. Only one fireplace insert heated our small house, and Mary and I underwent a daily routine which quickly became mundane. As winter's light broke in the morning, the wood-gathering and fire-starting ritual began. Usually I was the first to leave the warm, cozy bed to pick up a new load of firewood to be placed into the fireplace to flare from the dying coals from the previous night. It was a tedious ritual, but not one I complained about because it was how we heated the house. Coming back home from the airport to a quiet, cold, and dark house, I restarted the fireplace and turned on the TV to finish an evening before bedtime. After a few nights of this dull routine, I decided this coldness was bullshit. I was going to warm things up. Gathering a lot of sticks of wood, I stoked the fire until it became red hot and poured out hundreds of BTUs each minute. Getting out a large beach towel, I laid it in front of the fireplace. It was ready for me, crackling, glowing, and spewing out sought-after heat. Removing my clothes, I laid in front of the unit butt naked, basking in the hotness and thinking of summertime. As the fire burned down and my bright light of the Sinai Desert became diminished, I reverted to watching TV. Australian relatives of a horse client contacted me during this time. This brother and sister traveled from Australia to holiday in the United States. Evidently, they contracted with some company to drive a car from the west to the east coast and thereby could make their way across the country without the hassle of renting a vehicle. The two showed up in the Paso office one morning to introduce themselves. They looked to be in their late twenties. The woman was quite proud of her fish purse. Made of see-through plastic, the handbag was manufactured to look like a fish, a trout, I think. I thought the idea of a see-through bag was dumb. A purse holds those things a gal needs, stuff guys aren't interested in and don't want to see. But she was a foreigner, so I withheld my criticism. I welcomed them to the area, and we exchanged phone numbers. The next day I received an invitation from a client, who was looking to breed award-winning goats. Lorraine and her husband Larry invited me to fly along in their airplane for lunch in the Central Valley, at the restaurant next to Harris Feedlot. The feedlot is the biggest in California, just off Highway 5 above Coalinga and the manure smell from over 100,000 head of cattle reminded any driver along Highway 5 where they were. The Harris restaurant had an airplane parking lot along with a parking lot for cars. I thought my Australian friends would enjoy the ride. 
we arranged to meet in Paso on my way to the airport. Private planes do not travel as high above the surface of the earth as commercial planes do, and I was looking forward to following some of my favorite routes from Paso into the Central Valley. What I didn't realize is there is a lot more open space than there are roads, and the plane was free to travel over these roadless areas. Because I couldn't identify any routes, I lost my focus and sat back to enjoy the ride. When we landed, Larry parked the plane and we walked across the tarmac into Harris Restaurant. Lorraine insisted on paying for our lunches. On the flight back, I thanked Larry and Lorraine for their hospitality and invited the Australian woman and her brother over to my house for an evening in the hot tub. We could finish off the day drinking wine and soaking in hot water. She agreed and told me they would find a way out to my place. As soon as I got home, I fed the dogs and put more wood in the fireplace to make sure we all had a cozy atmosphere where we could talk. Soon my guests arrived, I filled their glasses with alcohol, and we did some small talk while I made sure the hot tub was perfect. I was proud of the improvements I had done on the property. With the front deck newly finished, I installed 12-volt lighting to help a person make one's way safely onto it. A few months previous, I found a natural spot between the trees in the back of the house to cement in a patio clearing an area as large as possible, yet still confined inside a grouping of oak trees, which would have become the outdoor kitchen but now served as the hot tub patio. With the tub ready, I removed the thick pad covering the top, spewing mists of steam skyward into the clear, cold air. We peeled our clothes off and jumped into the warm embrace of the tub. The three of us talked, enjoyed the night, and drank wine. I explained Mary was in Atlantic City with her band performing a month-long contract. Another singer, John McEwen, and his band were also there. The two groups rotated two-hour gigs in the hotel's lounge. We talked of other things enjoying the evening quietness and the clear sky, and the stars were bright. After a time, the young brother jumped out and told us he was done and went into the house. Setting her wine glass down, his older sister came over to sit right next to me. I need you to feel this, she said in her Australian accent. Grabbing my hand, she placed it between her legs. What am I supposed to be feeling? I asked her. I have two lumpy swellings down there, she replied. As I cupped her crotch, I could feel two symmetrical enlargements on either side of her groin. Those are your inguinal lymph nodes, I told her. Have you had any recent issues going on down there? She told me she recently underwent an abortion. She'd been hired by a wealthy couple to nanny their children. Evidently, the nannying was extended to the husband as well. I suspected her vacation, including the car allowance, was a result of this mishap, and told her I hoped she was on antibiotics. I said I needed to find more things to drink and jumped up and went into the house. As I entered the house, the phone rang. It was Mary. It was two o'clock in the morning in Atlantic City. She told me she needed to talk. I plopped down on the bed, thankful for the diversion from the awkwardness happening in the hot tub. I lay naked on the bed while Mary and I talked for 45 minutes. When the call was over, the guests had gone to bed. I awoke the next morning and took a shower. The Australian woman was sleeping in the guest bedroom. I asked her where her brother was. She didn't know. I went outside to check things out. He was enjoying himself in the steamy warmth of the hot tub. I told him I had to leave for work. Cheers, he replied, lifting his morning can of beer in a salute. These people know how to relax, I thought, as I drove to Paso. Two weeks later, I drove to San Francisco to board a flight to Atlantic City. I left the truck parked at Chuck's place, and he took me to the airport. Mary met Chuck during one of her band's trips to Hong Kong. He was a steward on both flights. On the first voyage, Chuck became friends with the guys in the band. 
Mary recalls after her first trip to Hong Kong, she was imprisoned in her hotel room by interviewers. While news people tramped in one after another to get the latest lead on the rising star, Mary looked out her window to see the boys in her band walking down the street, following after Chuck. He had taken it upon himself to be an excellent host to show the kids around Hong Kong, and Chuck was the steward again on her next flight there. By this time, he had established himself as a friend with the band members. He took both Mary and Melanie out shopping in Hong Kong, and Mary developed a warm relationship with the fellow, but they lost contact for a few years. One earlier 4th of July, we were relaxing in the California heat. Mary was sunning herself on a chair. I was developing culinary skills by barbecuing hot dogs on my new little Weber barbecue. Suddenly, a loud voice broke our solitude. Does Mary McGregor live here? The voice pierced the calm. That sounds like Chuck Bradley, she declared, putting on her clothes. It was indeed Chuck Bradley. Mary had not seen him for at least five years, yet she recognized his distinctive voice. He and his wife Barbie were driving from L.A. to San Francisco and saw a sign on Highway 101 for Creston. Chuck remembered when Mary fled Los Angeles to live in Creston. He turned on Highway 41 East and followed the road signs to our small town. There are two saloons in Creston, and Chuck stopped in at the loading chute, asking if anyone knew where Mary McGregor lived. Folks in Creston don't take kindly to pushy out-of-town strangers, and Bobby, the owner of the place, sat him down for a severe Q&A. Bobby knew about Mary because she and her old friend Joe performed at the loading chute regularly. I guess Chuck convinced Bobby he was okay, and she gave him directions to our house. Chuck's visit lasted less than two hours. We had plenty of hot dogs, but he had an appointment to keep. We exchanged phone numbers and promised to stay in touch. Chuck became my San Francisco connection whenever I needed to fly out of the airports. Such was the case in Atlantic City. I drove up to San Francisco the night before, was taken to dinner, and enjoyed Chuck and Barbie's company. Chuck dropped me off at the airport the next day. The flight went into Philadelphia Airport. Because of multiple layovers, I didn't arrive there until dark 30. I boarded a bus and still had to spend another hour looking out onto the moon-drenched landscape south of Philadelphia. The scenery was desolate. There was nothing to see other than some bushes here and there. This desolation must be a salt marsh, I decided. Once in Atlantic City, my feelings of being among cheap and dirty surroundings remained. At the time, Atlantic City was in dire need of refurbishing. I entered the Sands Hotel and Casino, contacted the front desk to let them know who I was, and called up to the room. Mary was there. When I entered the room and put down my bag, she was lying on the bed, coughing and had a runny nose. She was apparently not feeling well. I undressed quickly. What are you doing? Mary asked me. I'm taking my clothes off, I replied as I unbuttoned my shirt. I'm really sick, Mary told me. That's okay. This won't take long, I replied as I pulled my pants off. The hotel and casino were contained within a structure that took up an entire city block. Smoking was allowed anywhere in the building, and a white haze from people's cigarettes filled the casino area. To save heating costs, this polluted air was recycled throughout the hotel. Besides smoke particulates, viral particles, or bacteria from the coughing of an infected person drifted throughout the hotel, getting into the very corner of every room. Mary and her band were all infected, and had already spent several days in bed feeling miserable. They still had to perform every night. This infection became so worrisome the singer's microphones were clean and disinfected whenever the band left the set and turned it over to John's group. A real perk of the gig was the free food. The casino had a lot of high-quality food available for us any time. After taking a morning run on the dreary gray beach, 
I wanted some of this delicious food. As I was making my way in through the back of the corridors to the cafeteria, I ran into John McEwen. I recognized him from the festival in Little Rock. John and a new partner were making their way back from breakfast, and my mouth dropped open. This new friend of his was the woman from Australia, the one in my hot tub a week earlier. She and her brother made their way across the United States to check Mary out, and the Australian woman gathered a bonus point by becoming John McEwen's special friend. When Mary and I flew back to San Francisco, she couldn't stop coughing. Chuck picked us up, and we put Mary to bed as soon as possible. Concerned, he introduced her to wild turkey whiskey, the most potent, comatose-inducing alcohol beverage he knew. And it worked. Every household should have at least one bottle of this awful-tasting drink for those times when conventional medicines are not helpful. Once we got Mary home, we had to send her clothes to the dry cleaners, because every garment she had taken with her reeked of cigarette smoke. End of chapter. Well, we're about ready for the first big mistake of the night. I'm going to try and remember the words to once. You know, Rick, I had all those cue cards written up so that you could see them, but I couldn't get them into the car. <laughs> were the letters too big? Is that yeah, they're really large. We're going to try one by John Stewart. This is also for, actually, most of the songs we're going to do tonight are from the period that uh, when we used to play back in the early 70s. Actually, most of the songs we're going to do tonight are ones that we knew. <laughs> but, but not all of them. We're going to do some we don't know, which is always fun. Let's just kind of slide in. It's called July, You're a Woman. Luck well, and hold it on the road. When you're sitting right beside me and your hands on my collar and you're whispering in my ear, she said to start it that way. And I can't keep my mind on the white line out before me when your hand is on my collar. How's that? And you're whispering in my ear. I'll put all the verses together, no, but not yet. And I have been around. With a gypsy girl named Shannon She's the daughter of the devil Ain't it strange and I should mention that to you Haven't thought of her in years have a little flute solo while I try and remember the words. She's still the daughter of the devil Ain't it strange that I should mention that to you That haven't thought of her in years Thank you Well, July, you're a woman More than any 
And I can't keep my mind on the white line out before me when your hand is in my pocket and your tongue is in my ear. Well, could you? And I have been around with a gypsy girl named Shannon. She's still the daughter of the devil. want to sing with us, go right ahead. You must do it strange that I should mention that to you. I think we all know this verse now. I haven't thought of her. Have you got the verse yet? Thank you all for listening. You can follow the story on my blog, jeadvm.com. Once on my blog's front page, go to the menu, pick my books, and click on Fear of Failure. The entire autobiography can be purchased as an old-fashioned paper book or an e-book, as well as an 11-disc audiobook set, or can be downloaded from the audiobook site Spotify. More details are on my website, jeadvm.com. Thank you.